Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. My guest today is a repeat guest, Stian Arneson, who I believe was on episodes two and three or three and four. We had a very long conversation right back in the early days of the podcast where we talked mostly about 9-11 and some other things like crop circles and whatnot. And I sent Stian a copy of my book and he's been perusing it and he has a few notes and a few questions for me. So we're going to talk about that and maybe a little bit more about uh, some of the other topics like 9-11 and whatnot. So, Stian, welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Thank you, thank you. Good to be good to be back. Yeah, it's good to see you again. I I don't know where to start from uh, again. So <laughs> I'll, uh, but I got one question. I really want to shoot off, if that's okay. Go for it. Yeah. Um, you, I, I got to ask, uh, how, how would you define the term debunked? What do you put mm. into that? What does that mean that something has been debunked? Well, it means that one explanation for an event has been shown to be wrong. So someone says, I was abducted with aliens last night. And Mm -hmm. you show the camera footage that show that they were just having a nightmare. They were laying in their bed thrashing around. That would be evidence that their claim uh, was wrong. Their claim Mm -hmm. about what happened that night was wrong. Instead of them being abducted, they... You know, they are having a nightmare and you can prove this to them by showing them the video. It's, it's like debunking an explanation or, or something. A lot of people, I think they get like when I say something's been debunked, they think I mean mm. the entire topic. So yeah. it's like, say, chemtrails. Like the, I, I wouldn't say I've debunked chemtrails because that's kind of an impossible thing to do. But you can mm. debunk individual claims. Like if someone says contrails never persisted, you can show them evidence that contrails did persist. And then you can say that claim has been debunked. That one small thing has been debunked. So it's, mm. it's showing like individual things uh, to be wrong, essentially. Right, right. Is it, but is it possible that the term debunked can be overly used in a way in regards to maybe that what is actually happening is that you, in some cases, are presenting alternative theories to explain a phenomenon, but that it is, in fact, maybe not debunked, in some cases, but that it is, because I've, I've seen through the book that you, when you use the term, in, in many occasions, I find it completely objectively correct to use the term debunk, like mm-hmm. just the example you gave, that you can, uh, you can give such a radical different explanation, but very heavy weighing evidence, which is like, for example, filming this individual having an alien abduction. But when you're talking about, for example, um, a collapse of the twin towers, then you're presenting a what I would consider to be an alternative explanation, mm-hmm. and maybe not debunked. I, I would consider that a uh, an ultimate kind of term to use, um, almost yeah. like a totalitarian term in regards to the subject <laughs> in and of itself, because none of us have are there physically. Uh, none of us have been there. None of us are able to go in today and see what was really going on. So all we're left with is pieces and a puzzle. And I think your theories are parts of uh, uh, pieces of that puzzle um, that can maybe fit into explaining what we're actually seeing. But I don't think it's been debunked, if you know what I yeah. mean. It's- no, I, I, think I, I think I know what you mean. Like, and I know, obviously, that the title of my book, uh, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, is How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. Now, I can see yeah. from that, that's, that subtitle, 
seems like it's an overarching thing. Like I've debunked 9-11 or I've debunked this or that, or I've debunked the controlled demolition uh, theory of 9-11 when, you know, really I haven't 100% mm -hmm. debunked it. What, mm -hmm. I, what I've done really is just examine the various claims of evidence behind the conspiracy theory. And where possible, I've shown that these, these claims of evidence don't hold up, or I've provided an alternative explanation for it. Like take, for example, mm -hmm. the claim that these little red and gray flakes that people have found in the dust of World Trade mm -hmm. Center, uh, the World Trade Center site, people claim yeah. that these, these, these things are explosives, like some kind of, yeah, some kind of evidence of thermitic material. They, they say it's not actually explosives. It's just something that when you heat it up, it catches fire and it burns and they describe it as being thermitic. And they say, this is evidence because there's so much of it that it mm. is, uh, you know, there is explosives. And have I debunked uh. that? No, not really. No. I mean, I've, I put forward an alternative hypothesis that it's paint, you know, and I mm. offer as evidence the fact that when I hit my, my wheelbarrow with a hammer, identical looking uh, flakes like fell off my wheelbarrow. I have a red painted wheelbarrow. Uh, the, mm. It's the, the exact same color as the, uh, the steel in the World Trade Center. I haven't debunked that theory. There's an alternative explanation. And right. I pointed out kind of the where the evidence is lacking for one theory. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I've proved 100% that every single red and gray flake in the dust is actually paint. Obviously, mm. some of them are going to be paint because they have the same paint on the steel as they have on my wheelbarrow. Yep. And when you knock it off, you will yep. get these, these paint things. So yeah, I, I see, I do see you know, problems with using the term debunked. And you yeah. know, to be honest, I'm kind of shying away from it a bit nowadays, simply because like, you know, people do react against it. So I, I do things like I will title things with a question, like, you know, mm. is this really this, you know, you know, yeah, are the yeah. red gray flakes really paint, like for example, and then examine the evidence. So yeah, it's a problem. You talk a lot about a group psychology in the book, and it's been it's brought up many times, and I, I enjoy that quite a bit. But I also see that in 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 the group mind of skeptics or so-called debunkers, mm -hmm. uh, they um they cling on to what you say and they bring it forth in discussions and debates, and they use the term, well, this has been debunked, just check here, McWest, blah, 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 this and this. So you get this group think within your own environment, I feel, where people, they do look up to your analysis and ways of explanations, and, and they take the same kind of uncritical path, I feel, to, to kind of where they take their explanations and feel like, okay, it's just been explained away. Now I can go back to my everyday routine and, you know, everything's fine. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not what I used to think it was. And I, I find that to be part of the same phenomenon that you see within these uh, conspiratorial groups as well, that they, they find allies of mm -hmm. how they want to view the world. And when they do that, they become uncritical. You become part of a group think. Do you see that in a way? I do, actually, yeah. And actually, funny you should mention uh, this topic because it came up recently. Uh, someone DM'd me on Twitter and they pointed to the French Wikipedia page for these the, the UFO, the, the Nimitz UFO thing where you know, these, these videos of UFOs have been released like, uh, like, like a year or so ago. And people mm -hmm. say it's like real evidence of UFOs. Someone on the French Wikipedia page 
posted a link to my site on in the article and said, Metabunk has done an analysis of these videos and shown them to be a hoax, mm-hmm. which isn't what I did. I didn't show them to be a hoax. I presented alternative explanations for what they yep. might be. Like, you know, it's, it's probably not a UFO. It's probably a distant plane or this other video is a balloon. I didn't say any yep. of them were a hoax. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And then, um, then there's some kind of edit war going on, apparently, on the French uh, Wikipedia page. And of course, it's in French, uh, you know, <laughs> and it's about you know, about me anyway. So I can't really edit it. But uh, people have taken what I've said and they've kind of misconstrued it as being, you know, 100 percent evidence for their point of view. So these people, obviously, yeah. they're UFO skeptics, and they go, "Oh, yeah. it's a hoax! Look, look, Mick West on Metabunk has proved it with his videos, which which mm-hmm. I haven't. I, my videos have titles like "Is the Nimitz UFO a plane?" Not like exactly. the UFO Nimitz is video is a hoax. So and yeah, ex- people uh, grasp onto the other explanation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 so similar to to what someone would say that went on YouTube and just saw a video that oh I saw this video explaining and proving that nine eleven was an inside job. I mean, you got hundreds of scientists saying it, and yeah. it's 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 um, a side of human mentality that it creates teams. And when you talk about polarization, I see that your f- followers, quote unquote, take part in that same game where they pick a team and they take part in that skepticism team. And when, when that happens, they, you get this opposition and you get this um, very, what would you say, intense and not practical debate on the internet because you get these two sides that have kind of their idols, like you become in a way to these people because I see more and more quoting you just like you mentioned. And I'm wondering if your readers of your debunks are not critical towards you as well. Or, or your theories, then then it becomes a team issue. I feel, for example, you you say that you you write in your book that I bother, I debunk to stave off and spare others from this harm of getting into the rabbit hole uncritically of conspiracy theories. Quote: While it is perhaps just a drop in the ocean to make the world a better place. But I think that in that process of trying to make the world a better place, the solutions that we come up with have unimaginable consequences as to how people perceive your ways of interpreting and projecting your theories. They, um, it becomes totalitarian in a way. It becomes 100%, they feel, it seems. Well, you know, that's obviously not my intent, but I think it's inevitable that you know, you're going to get a range of interpretations of things. And, you know, most people don't spend very much time on these topics. Like you and I were very interested in these topics, uh, you know, strange esoteric topics like 9-11 and like, uh, like UFOs even. And so mm. we personally have spent many, many hours and days and, you know, years like reading about them and we're very familiar with them. But yeah. most people are not and they they just have a passing acquaintance with with the topics, and they already have a preformed opinion one way or the other about what uh, what the reality is. They think, yeah, either UFOs are silly nonsense, or they think, oh, there's probably aliens out there, or they think, oh yeah, yeah, aliens are definitely visiting us because I've seen it on on the History Channel. And yeah. they have these you know simplistic interpretations, but they're not really familiar with the real depth of the evidence, and so they mm. will tend to when they get into an argument with somebody. They will they will gravitate to someone else who gives an explanation, 
So mm-hmm. they, they will say like, you know, look at architects and engineers for 9-11 truth. They've, they've explained it all. You know, I haven't read any of their explanations, but I know that there's, there's lots of them and they've explained mm. it. Or, you know, look at Mick West. He's got like, you know, 15 videos explaining why these uh, UFOs are, are just planes and things. So, you know, that's, that's who I'm going to go with. I think the people who actually look into it in, into more depth realize that you don't get absolute answers on one side or the other. Mm. But there's certainly a danger for people who are just kind of have a passing acquaintance with the theory and who just want to like slap somebody down on, on Twitter. They're going to mm. just grab something and then say, you know, look at this video. But yeah. you know, I, I don't really th- see the totalitarian aspects of it that you're saying, because it's, it's not like my, I have this horde of followers who are all, you know, ditto heads, like they say for uh, followers of Rush Lombard, <laughs> they just say ditto, ditto. Like, you know, they say the same, I agree with yeah. whatever this person says that, you know, I don't get that. I actually get, because I cover lots of different topics, I get some people who believe me strongly on one topic and then think I'm a complete idiot on another topic. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. the UFO people are generally on board with my chemtrail and 9-11 debunking, but they think I'm a complete idiot for not believing in UFOs. And conversely, a lot of the 9-11 people are not UFO people. And they think that UFOs are just like silly nonsense that distracts from the serious issue of 9-11. So I I don't have this monolithic following who believes everything that I say. No, I I don't think you have either. It's just, I don't know, an, an, an attitude from those different groupings that do support some of your theories that become totalitarian when they try to convey their message as in totalitarian in a way of as if you had the ultimate explanation of this just one theory or this theory or you talked about how the term conspiracy theorist is according to a scientist that i completely forgot the name of now in your book that he thinks that the term conspiracy theorist is is neutral in its rhetoric term, it's it's not belittling anyone. It's not it's not um, thinking of someone as stupid or, or anything in that way. But it it has, by I think, culture and by um, people and media and 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 uh, uh, skeptics and uh, even by some governments, the the term conspiracy theorist have, has been twisted into this taboo um, nutcase um, stamp on people who are associated with that term conspiracy theorist. And, and I have a compassion for those people in a way where they are trying to communicate real conspiracies. Like, for example, um, we talked about this last time as well, but now with Julian Assange's situation in the UK and the um, rape case being dropped and how this case has developed, what uh, information has come out that emails were deleted from the Justice Department in, in the UK as to how, what communication that they had with the UK government and how they were pushing Swedish authorities to pursue this rape case and so on and so on. Real conspiracies. But if you bring these issues up in certain media channels and certain political arenas, you mm-hmm. are stamped a conspiracy theorist. And I think that there is a real danger in that stamp because it's yeah. not not bringing up real debate it's not actually well it's just um yeah it's a label uh and i know and I, I i did discuss this in the book but i mean what it boils down to is is what term are you going to use instead or are you going to use no term and and not try to 
classify people who believe in 9-11 and chemtrails or uh, secret government plots and things like that? Mm -hmm. Do we just simply not have a term that encompasses them? You know, 9-11 truth people call themselves, I don't know what they call themselves, truth activists. Truthers. <laughs> truthers. But some people think that truthers is, is uh, acquired a derogatory term as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've yeah. heard that from people who are 9-11 truthers. And yeah. they say, well, don't call me a truther because that's just like what they call the crazy people. Like they say that the people who believe the towers were evaporated are, are, are truthers. And so mm -hmm. by association, it gets this stigma. And that, that's kind of what happened with conspiracy theorists is that because it encompasses the entire spectrum of mm -hmm. conspiracy theories, like everything up to, you know, the flat earth, it taints everything below that. And I, I know this for, for everybody who is a conspiracy theorist, without you know any stigma attached to that term, someone who believes in some kind of conspiracy, because there are real conspiracies, obviously. There's lots of real conspiracies. There's lots of corruption in the government. There's lots of you know people self-dealing. I see it all the time. It's very frustra frustrating, frustrating uh, for them yeah. that they, they, uh, they get labeled as, as something which they don't feel that they are. They feel that they have very genuine concerns. Yeah. But you know, again, it's a term that's reasonably well understood as to what we're talking about. It's people who are saying there's a big conspiracy at the upper levels of government that explains these events. Yeah. And yeah. how else are we going to refer to these types of theories in general? other than being yeah. conspiracy theories like government theories or power theories or, you know, you, you, you just come up with some new term. And like I say in the book, you come up with a new term uh, to explain it. And then that term, like truther, acquires some kind of stigma because, you know, it's always yeah. going to go somewhere that's a bit, uh, a bit extreme. It's like inevitable in a way that you, um, yeah, whatever term you come up with, you can always yeah. find a derogatory um um, but 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 the the conspiracy theorist term in you said that it's a well established and understood term. But if I go on the street or if I go out and have a beer with random people and I ask them what do you what do you think a conspiracy theorist is? What do you associate with that? And then they immediately think of maybe flat Earth. Uh, we didn't land on the moon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they have this general idea given to them usually from my interpretation, the media, um, that is serving them the label in an uncritical way. Because if, if I was to call myself a conspiracy theorist, if I investigate government corruption, then that, that can't even be associated with flat earth and, and the moon landings being staged, in my, my opinion. So yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I don't think it is a well-understood term. I think it is a term that has been um, manipulated and twisted and by both natural and human causes and, and maybe by even sinister causes to, to create perhaps confusion in, in the land of labels, so to speak. Mm -hmm. to, well, yeah. where, where possible, I try to use a, a more precise term. Like if I'm talking about 9-11 truth, I will usually refer them to them as truthers. Uh, if it's a more extreme conspiracy theory, I will say things like a 9-11 conspiracy theorist. Uh, yes. And like, and the controlled demolition theory, I consider that to be you know, something that is, from my perspective, demonstrated to be completely baseless. And mm -hmm. I would describe that as a conspiracy theory without reservation, in that I think that it is 
you know, it's this, this extreme theory about the upper levels of government doing this incredible thing that was really, really difficult to pull off and it's all covered up and it's the, the events of 9-11 are all explained by this, this convoluted conspiracy mm. theory that involves pre-planting explosives in the World Trade Center and having planes piloted by remote control fly into them at the right point, having the, the floors burn for an hour and then having the buildings collapse starting on the floors that uh, were on mm. fire. Uh, where the plane hit and and then pretty much nobody in the engineering community uh, noticing this uh, the FBI mm. pretending to investigate for 2 years at the cost of uh, billions of dollars and not finding anything you know that i think is a conspiracy theory yeah from from my perspective but obviously from the perspective of people who are convinced that that theory is true like say Richard Gage uh, who's the head of architects and engineers for 911 truth mm. he's going to say that i'm calling it a conspiracy theory to belittle it, uh, to you know, to, to to label it with the, the same thing as like the queen is an alien or the earth is flat and things like that. So he's, that's what yeah. he's going to perceive. But as you know, I've actually like spent a lot of time looking at the actual evidence behind this this theory, and you know, I feel like you know, after looking at it for you know ten years or so, that my conclusion is that it is just a conspiracy theory. Mm. So that's mm. what I'm going to keep calling it. But in regards to the um, explosive theory, if you were to remove any any association with the idea of government uh, high level people being involved, and that uh, just remove all of the the foundations that it's currently standing on, and just think of the explosive theory, regardless of who was behind it or involved mm-hmm. or wh- whatever it. It was. Um, we've talked previously about the abnormalities uh, of the collapse that you've also talked about that. Yeah, we don't understand everything about it, but that doesn't mean that it's a conspiracy theory. And I agree. But the the room of abnormalities in the collapse and the visual aspect of the collapse, which understandably can to many people be communicated as an explosive collapse, how do you do you leave room for doubt that it maybe all of the theories presented today in regards to explosives can be dismissed with an alternative theory, but not maybe debunked? Are you open or do you have room for doubt that it's possible that it could have been sinister purposes behind it, regardless of who was behind it, uh, other than mm-hmm. 19 well, hijacks? Yeah, to a to a degree. To a degree, but a small degree. Now, I, I think you know you say like we don't really understand everything about the collapse. And now, I think that statement kind of should be looked into a little bit because I, I I wouldn't say that there are aspects of uh, the collapse that we don't understand in the sense of like you know why could this possibly have happened? Uh, we can mm. come up with reasonable hypotheses for everything. There's, you know, there's it fell rapidly. There was uh, explosive ejections of material, uh, the mm. things, things like that. Yeah, the things that people bring up as being, being issues. I would say we didn't understand that in the sense that we don't know exactly which beam hit which other beam and, you know, mm. you know which what order the columns collapsed in and, you know, how far down was the collapse wave I- inside uh, the building. Mm. But we can come up with a plausible hypothesis uh, that mm. explains it. And the engineers, like, they have no problem. You know, the building just fell down into itself and uh, you know, mm. fell to pieces. Plausible hypothesis. 
Is it, yeah, is it, it um, like a um, plausible hypothesis? That could also be a part of explosives, could it not? I mean, plausible is that sinister people could have been plausible behind isn't, it. No. Uh, plausible isn't a binary thing, though. It's not like, you know, this this is plausible, this is implausible, and, you know, explosives, right. like, you know, make it onto the plausible side. It's, it's isn't like... It, isn't it plausible? You could, like, if you if you define some arbitrary criteria and you say something is plausible, but you know you can ask how plausible is something. If you can actually ask how how plausible is it, that means you can kind of put a number on it. And how yeah. likely do you think it actually is? If it has yeah. a plausibility of like you know a thousandth of a percent, it's still plausible. Yeah, but, but not very who likely. Defines what is plausible? Who who gets it's to n- set nobody, the data into it? Like, nobody defines it. It's not a it's not a, a thing that you can define. Yeah. No, but, no, exactly. That's it's like um, whoever would define it as to how plausible it would be, they would have an interpretation mm-hmm. of the world and how it's put together and what interests there are in the world and what kind of power and ability they would have to do something like that to get away with. And how do you even like um, how do you even calculate that? It's it's like yeah. you said, it's impossible. Yeah. But, it but is that impossible. would also to to me leave room for doubt that it's that it is possible and it is plausible in a way. It is just as plausible as it falling down and and by uh, without explosives. It, it, I feel if I have to be c- completely, I don't know, uh, if I can claim that that would be being intellectually honest with myself that it is plausible, but I don't find evidence yet to support that theory is that maybe a way there's a thing in um in in skepticism uh called false balance which we constantly rail against which is where you present both sides of the argument which seems like a fair way of doing things that you have an expert on to say something and then you have another expert on putting the other side of the argument Mm -hmm. but if you look at things like say you know chemtrails and you get on like one guy, a scientist with a PhD, who says chemtrails are real. And then you get on another guy with a PhD who says that chemtrails are not real. You know, they're just contrails. It mm. makes it seem like things are 50-50. It makes it seem like the argument is, 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 you know, kind of open for debate. No one really knows. Like, you know, half the scientists say this, the other half say that. But you really don't have that 50-50 split in these things with chemtrails. Uh, I was involved in a survey of atmospheric scientists and we surveyed like 70 scientists and 76 of them were hundred percent. No, these are just contrails. One guy was like, Oh, I'm not entirely sure about this one test, but basically mm. you don't have this split. You have 99% of scientists on one thing and you have 1% on the other thing. And you can't have on the, a talk show host, one scientist on one side and then 99 scientists on the other side because they wouldn't fit in the studio. But that's really mm. what the the actual balance is. I see what you mean. So when you're talking about like something like 9-11, you've got, you got a similar problem there. Yeah, I mm. interviewed on this podcast a while ago a structural engineer from New York who worked on the 9-11 site. And he said he knows lots of structural engineers in New York. He's a senior guy. He's, he's like been working in New York for like 30 years in structural engineering. He knows probably hundreds of structural engineers in New York. He doesn't know anybody, any mm. structural engineer in New York who believes in the controlled demolition theory. So, you know, you've got this, this, this false balance and you can't say that we have to be more even handed. In fact, we probably have to be less even handed. We need to like say what the actual balance is so saying something is plausible 
doesn't mean it's like a 50-50 thing. Like it's either this or this. I don't know which one it mm-hmm. is. It's like mm-hmm. saying there's a small chance. There's a small mm-hmm. possibility that explosives yeah. were pre-planted in the building and were timed exactly to go off, uh, to make it look like to all the world's scientists that it was a normal gravity-driven collapse. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, that's what happened. But, you know, there's no real evidence of it, but it's plausible. But really, it's not. It's not that plausible. It's, there's a tiny little possibility that that might have happened, but it's mind-boggling mm. the things that would have to go on for it to actually exist. Yeah, I, I can see what you um, are pointing out in regards to the um, that it is, and uh, uh, what I'm worried about is is who who is going to get to define w- what is the right balance, and who are those people going to be, and what trust is going to be put into those people that what balance is given to us will be what is yeah. the real truth, and yeah. historically, science is. Luckily, many many times wrong, and it needs to be corrected and developed and evolved. And by now, all the only process we know how to do that is to have the debates and the comparisons of data. And I mean, to the viewer viewing the debate or the arguments or the the issues, it it seems like an uneven balance. Uh, like like you explained that it is like just two, two scientists sitting there having having an argument, but the idea. That's science it. isn't really done by debate, though. Science is done by showing evidence. And yeah. when, when you get revolutions in science, they don't come about by people sitting in a room and like one side debating the other. Like Copernicus didn't like just have a simple debate. He actually did all these observations and he showed other people how to do the same observations and he showed them the math and they were able to mm. replicate it. Like you you mm-hmm. do actual evidence. Like the guy who discovered that bacteria cause ulcers he did an experiment by actually drinking some some bacteria and seeing that it also formed in his stomach afterwards. So he actually did this physical demonstration. Like going mm. back to those red chips, you know, that's a piece of evidence. Like people debate about whether these things were uh, explosives or not, but there's still mm. plenty of dust around. There's still people have like items of clothing and things that are covered in dust. They have samples of dust all over the place. Like even people in the mm. 9-11 truth community say that they have samples of dust. If you actually had samples of dust that demonstrate that there were explosives in the dust, why don't you get it tested? Why don't yeah. you actually you know, get an independent lab to verify that this has, has dust in it and test 10 different samples from different locations? And then you go, you got 100% proof. But yeah. this hasn't been done, even though like people say that they, they they said years ago they were going to do this testing. You know, I think mm. probably what happened is either they didn't do the testing for some reason, or they did the testing and didn't show what they wanted it to show, and so they didn't do it. But you don't do science by debate. You do science by presenting evidence and having Data. other people verify that. You have verifiable yeah. tests and uh, things that you can do. You could have people build models of the World Trade Center, for example, which is something that's that's being done. So multiple people could do that and you could like have other people like look at those results and see, you know, whether they are they are uh, yeah. you know they show one thing or the other. But as we know, uh, data can also be misinterpreted and as um, sure. through scientific uh, form of consensus is is um that if you have a scientific consensus on something, you have scientists saying that that's even dangerous because you're leaving out the, the room for having a discussion about the data. You, you're leaving out the the ability to to have a what I would call still call a debate about the data that we have. 
and how to interpret the data and what it is showing us. There's and nothing stopping you from having that discussion. You don't have to have it with other scientists, but you can still present uh, this science. You know, yeah, why, yeah. why do you think that, say, the papers that have been written about 9-11 physics haven't been very well received? You think it's they're being suppressed? You know, there are scientists saying that the buildings collapsed too fast and things like that, or you know, dust had explosives in it, and they've actually written scientific papers. So they're yeah. kind of they're still participating in the process. But yeah, I, definitely. I think, I think that perhaps they misinterpret the lack of interest in uh, their papers for some kind of suppression of those papers. For uh, and from my perspective, mm. it isn't really a suppression. It's it's more of a a lack of interest. Because I think it's just, mm. but you know, I, I see, I see what your point is that you, you, you think that the it's not a level playing field. Yeah, yeah, but, but it never uh, will be. I think it, it never, it never will be. And but you know, science, if something is demonstrable, if you can show that it is true in a way that's verifiable and repeatable, testable, mm. verifiable and repeatable, mm-hmm. then you can't ignore that. Yeah, you know, science hmm. can't say like, oh, that's not true, even though it's you know you can repeat the experiment and it shows the same thing over and over again, or you know this math works out. If something hmm. was actual real science, a real you know real engineering issue, a real structural engineering calculation that people have done, it isn't something that could be ignored. Hmm. It's this this pure absolute thing that you can just put out there and explain to people and any other scientist. If you have it have it explained to them, they will see. Mm. You know, this, these are facts. You, you can't argue with these things. You know, here's the moons of Jupiter are rotating around Jupiter. That you know kind of proves that you know gravity works in a in a certain way because you know you can't mm. argue with with these observations. But what observations do you have from nine eleven that are equally inarguable? Well, nothing is inarguable. <laughs> I don't think anything is. That's that's the point. All right, well, that's what I'm to, 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 to the, the same of. to the same degree, though. If you're seeing if you're seeing um, you, know, you track the orbits of the planets and you see the old form ellipses around the sun, mm. that tallies exactly with uh, Newton's laws of gravity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of an inarguable observation that the world fits this model. I don't think have... it's inarguable. I don't. No, you. It, it's inarguable. It's inarguable that it fits. Yes, yes, that is inarguable. Yes, I agree. That is inarguable. But it's not inarguable that there can be an alternative in- interpretation of those physical phenomenons. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, this, this false balance that you talk about to me is, I think, is correct. that it, it does become a false balance, but I think it still needs to be entrusted into the viewer that they have to be able to make up their own mind. If we are to approach a, um, a world where someone will be given the authority to define what is to be debated or discussed mm-hmm. or talked about because it might not be scientifically even in the debate spectrum, then I, I'm, I'm afraid of those people because I, I don't have a guarantee that those people in charge of regulating the, the spectrum of debate will always have genuine interests in or sincere interests in regulating it in an objective and neutral way. Um, so right now, I suppose you're talking about uh, YouTube and Facebook and uh, Google example, and Twitter. Censorship. Yeah, they, they're the people now who are uh, essentially regulating. I wouldn't say they're regulating debate because you can still have debate, but they do things now like they will... Um, 
they will derank videos on the yep. flat earth. So if you search for flat earth videos now, you, you hardly find any, uh, you know, flat earth truth videos. Mm -hmm. And similarly, they're, they're not to the same extent with, with 9-11. Uh, if you search for 9-11, you used to get lots more videos discussing uh, the 9-11 uh, theories, and you don't yeah. hear that now. And no. I'm not entirely sure that's 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 a good thing because I think it's kind of pushing things underground. I do feel the way things stand right now, it's it's okay because they are targeting things that are, you know, pretty much just continual misinformation being put out there. But I think it's kind of in a way it's a slippery slope. Yeah, w where yeah. do you draw the line? Where do you say like yeah. this is a conspiracy theory? that is mm -hmm. demonstrably false or you know this is just people who are suspicious of people in power so we shouldn't let them have that discussion so yeah yeah i i yeah. would i would agree and i i you know i i've been following the whole thing i talk a little bit about it in the book like you know with the the censorship for the social media companies you know that, that a lot of them are doing it now for advertising advertisers don't like being associated with fringe topics uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah they, they did say it was interesting. Like the amount of fringe material that they have on YouTube, I think they they said it accounted for something like three percent or something of uh, of all views, or maybe like even less than like that one percent. It was like a very 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 small amount, so it doesn't actually change things that much for advertisers. No. But they they don't actually they still don't want their adverts showing up on these videos. I suppose they could just take the adverts off, but then it's a tricky yeah, one. Um, it's a tricky one. <laughs> It, yeah, it definitely is, and it's it's hard to know what principles to to follow to regulate the transfer of information correctly, and whoever gets to define that, what is the correct information to transfer mm -hmm. across the world, is author authoritarian in a way to me. I mean, when you get private corporations regulating information in that way, I, I, I. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't look brightly at the future. Then I don't. Yeah. I, I, it's um and and then yeah. part of where they're coming from the uh the youtube people is youtube is being used as a recruitment tool for jihadists in that they would put up these these videos basically they used to uh mm -hmm. you can't do it anymore and they they would you know, put up sometimes private videos and they would be you know shown to impressionable young men who would later turn into jihadists sometimes suicide bombers mm. uh they you know the, the stuff that they were within these videos was essentially conspiracy theories in a way like you know they would they would they would repeat things like the 9-11 truth conspiracy theory like say look what america will do to its own people like they are evil and mm. so we're justified in uh, in kicking them out of saudi arabia or whatever they do i think where the the YouTube stuff kind of started the, the clamping down on thing was with these kind of extremist violence stuff. Mm. And then they've, they've seen like, like uh, some kind of correlation between conspiracy theories in general and this type of, uh, of extremist behavior. Like you, you see it like in America, conspiracy theories have this strong rooting in ex the extreme right, which tends to be people like militias, yeah, you know, things like they talk about like the Waco siege. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was like a yeah, very. famous thing in American history uh, where there was a siege of a, a religious compound where they were, had lots of guns in it and then they, they burnt down and lots of people died. And that's that's become part of the fabric of right-wing conspiracy theorists and the militia and everything. And then you get mm. domestic terrorism because you've got this, this 
mythology built up around how we're fighting the evil government and that we need to start doing things like bombing the Oklahoma City Federal Building, which is something that mm. happened by guys who believed in conspiracy theories. You know, back then, yeah. YouTube wasn't such a big thing. But now, like, if you get people who buy into these these conspiracy theories, they might think that they need to take action on it, and you might get, like, more domestic terrorism based on these. So I think that's part of what they are thinking about. They're trying to pre prevent prevent extremist violence. But, of course, that doesn't right. help, like, you know, me and you, because no. we're just we, – we want to talk about the actual topics from a scientific point of view, so – yeah, and but the the, the for example the um, the example of uh, right wing extremism in the United States, like right after Waco, you had the Ruby Ridge incident, incident mm -hmm. uh, where people got shot as well by by the police, and there was a standoff. I, it's it's when it comes to right wing extremists, for example, when they talk about Waco incident and how that whole process uh, went and how the police behaved and there's been made movies and documentaries and leaks of information and all kinds of stuff. And it's there are points where the right-wing extremists takes something that is true, that that is uh, true in regards to certain areas of what happened in Waco, but then they use that to fuel a political and um, emotional and ideological state of mind to, to justify radical changes that they want to, you know, uh, push on the world. Um, and, and I find that the only way to approach these people is to, like you talk about, find common ground. Tell them that, yeah, you were right about this stuff. Yeah, you wrote about this and this happened, and but not not this. And maybe you're doing this to, to, to over-interpreting this or... I find that that is the only way to mm -hmm. kind of um, make people drop their guns in a way. Because I feel that the extreme right, when they bring up these topics, uh, you find that some parts of the media in the, in the U.S. are sort of on their side on, and have reported what happened at Waco and, 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 and what critiques you could give to the FBI and the hostage negotiation and the way they were behaving uh, while approaching the compound and all that stuff. But, and then you have other media channels saying that the people who are arguing the Waco incident at all are Looney Tunes and that they're conspiratorial right-wing extremists. And that's the only term they get. And I think that's dangerous because it's not having a conversation with the people. So they yeah. become just more extreme. And then if you remove all of their ways of communicating with each other and the ideas that they are communicating, like you say, you push them underground. You're censoring them. You are, you are making it harder for, for the public and for everyone else to see what is the status quo of the world. What, what, is, what, what are the opinions out there? What, uh, what do we need to worry about? And and I I think that's um, I think that's even more dangerous to not know mm -hmm. what to worry about the most in the world because certain topics have been removed from the public um, view, and I think uh, repression, as Robert Kennedy said, repression breeds retaliation. It it just increases friction. It doesn't calm people down and they get an argument to say that look they censored us like alex jones says now we've he, he makes it into a point and an argument in in his case and he's right he has been censored he has been yes yeah. but i think you gotta like, ask the say with alex jones say you know, someone who's obviously like you know kind of a, a deep conspiracy theorist but who someone who does use like you know valid criticism to to frame his his crazier uh, theories like like yeah you know, sandy yeah. hook being being fake and stuff 
I, I think if Alex Jones is deplatformed, what is the net effect of that? Is it a good effect or is it a bad effect? You know, you're obviously mm-hmm. going to have some some negative effects from that, and that people will think, "Oh, that this proves the government is evil, and they've uh, you know they pushed Alex Jones off. Therefore, like I'm going to follow him wherever he goes and onto the dark web." Mm. Uh, and then you've got thousands or millions of people who don't see Alex Jones anymore and don't have mm. this drip, drip, drip of Alex Jones like uh, dropping poison into their their minds. Mm. Uh, so. I'm not entirely sure with in that particular case, like whether mm. it's a good thing or a bad thing. I kind of, I kind of tend to think that it's it's a good thing that he doesn't have a platform, even though there are these obvious negatives. I think that's, that there's a worry that you know what comes after Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, Alex Jones, like, is a fairly clear cut case. You know, he's yeah. a guy who was harassing parents of uh, of the Sandy Hook victims, saying that it, it was it was fake and. All kinds of, you know, if you look into the people who used to work with him, there's all kinds of bad stuff Which going on there. Which he has apologized for as well. Oh, and sure, he's now, apologized now that he's been, uh, yeah, yeah. He's been taken to court. From what I've seen, though, he has been, he's been on the Joe Rogan experience uh, a couple of times after, um, after that happened. And he has been, yeah. he, been in admission of, uh, of, of guilt in a way. And I, I feel that if, if you, when you ban people permanently, you don't give them an opportunity to correct themselves and come back and say, you know, I was wrong about this and, and actually tell people mm-hmm. that I was wrong about Sandy. You're being denied the opportunity for what would you call it? Um, redemption. Redemption. Yeah. Yeah. I like to give people a second chance myself when uh, I, I, I ban people from my site, Metabunk, you know, when they overstep the line, which is usually when they, they're they not following the posting guidelines. They just post lots of stuff or they're especially rude. Like they start insulting you. Yeah. And there's people that I've banned and then I, I, I do a temporary ban and then let them back. And then, then I'll do like a, a one year ban and then I'll let them back. Or then I'll just do an indefinite ban and I'll let them back. There's, there's one guy who was a nine 11 truther. You might've heard of him. I won't mention him now because he, he tends to get very upset whenever I mention his name. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I banned him, I think like five years ago, something like that. And then he came back the next year and he was more contrite. And then I said, okay, let's, let's chat. And, you know, we had some reasonable conversations and then he started going off again. And then he started like <laughs> sending me these, uh, these, these aggressive PMs. And so I banned yeah. him again. And then, you know, a year later he came back and like, he seemed fine. And so I let him on again. And, uh, I was guilty of that. Uh, and now I kind of chat to him on, on Twitter occasionally and, you know, he's still banned, but it's not like I, I close <laughs> off all, all, all avenues. So what you say, you were like that. You, you did you yeah, get banned? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't get banned, but I was guilty of that after, um, your, uh, one of your Joe Rogan experiences. And I was, um, I was so mad at you for the way you were communicating the, mm. again, totalitarian alternative of anti, you know, debunked nine eleven. And and I was uh, I remember that I was I was really really frustrated as to uh, the way it was being communicated and and even perhaps uh, it, you would maybe today convey or communicate it um, differently in a way I yeah. don't know um, it's, no I think um, it's evolved uh, my my approach has evolved like how I how I talk to people and uh, I think you know I I. I since that time, I've started this podcast, which has been going on about, I don't know, seven or eight months or so. I got, like, this is episode 34 that we're mm. recording right now, and it's, what, it's January 
uh, January the 5th right now. And I think I started it back in June or something like that. And mm. things have evolved. I, I talk to people a bit differently. I, you know, I, I listen a bit more than I, I used to, to people and you know, try to let them have their say and understand them more. You know, I, I still mm. did that back then, but I think I, I do it more now and certainly a lot more now than I did, say, five years ago. And definitely more than when I started out doing debunking like 10 years ago when I was, you know, almost dismissive of uh, these crazy theories and saying, oh, it's obviously this and things like that. So, yeah, I think mm. uh, I've evolved simply because one approach works better than the other approach. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's just. Uh, it's really good not to be static. Yeah, and I wonder how how things are going to change in the future. Am I am I going to continue to evolve? <laughs> am I going to become <laughs> even more reasonable and nicer and just let other people talk all the time, or will yeah. I take a step back and start being uh, uh, more aggressive? We'll see. It's, it's, it, it is spooky to think of the future. It really is. It's, it's uh, very uncontrollable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and you think of it in terms of things like, say, nine eleven truth. And how yeah. long it has been uh, since 9-11, like 19 years. Yeah. We were having similar discussions about the evidence 18 years ago. Yeah. Uh, how, how have things actually evolved? Have they actually evolved? Why is it taking 19 years to get to where we are now when we're really not anywhere in particular in terms of 9-11 of truth? And where are we going to go over the next 10 years? Yeah, what do you think yeah. about like the state of... 9-11 truth right now and where it's uh, where it's heading I find that it's uh, a movement that is kind of slowly very slowly dying off um, mm. a little bit but um, the architects and engineers for 9-11 truth is definitely a, a really powerful movement because they have credentials they have people who are almost dedicated their lives to something that they really do believe and that movement i think will persist for many many years to come and i i have to say that i i i think they some of the people in 911 or not truth but the architects and engineers who are in that group some of them you can have very reasonable debates and yeah. uh, conversations and lively discussions with and i i find that to be important and i think it's um I think it's, uh, if I view it from a societal function as having that group, AE911, that opposite pole, that group of people who is able to question the narrative of a, or a consensus of a incident such, such as 9-11, and do put questions up, and some of the questions can be more legitimate questions than others and I, I think that's important to have that sort of um group but the problems arise where you have um their own way of being behaving totalitarian in their opinions and their ways of interpreting evidence where like other people do look at it as facts and as proven and they rail and they they, they get together and they uh it, it creates an image of the world where yeah, you don't get much faith in the world if, if you want to get into or really start believing what they are saying. But I think they have an important function. That's what I'm trying to get to. It's, it's an mm -hmm. important function to, to, to have the ability in the society to, to talk about these issues and to even have those opinions of 9-11. I think it's really important.
because if I need to be able to make up my mind, I need to have different right. kinds of views of the data out there. To well, would you say that the chemtrails people are equally important? I say geoengineeringwatch.org, this big site that talks about chemtrails and lots of people will point you to as being this authoritarian site, giving the uh, the other side of the story on chemtrails. Is that as mm. important as the architects and engineers of 9-11 truth? I haven't dug too much uh, into the chemtrail debate, but for example, um, where they... Where I do think they have a, um, perhaps hypothetically now, I'm not saying that they do have, but hypothetically where they could have a good function, for example, um, they could use arguments like uh, that the army sprayed St. Louis with toxic aerosol during mm -hmm. uh, 1950s, which is documented and proven. But if, 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 if that's something that the government could do in one incident, and that's all that happened, and it hasn't repeated since. It was an experiment for completely different purposes than chemtrails in that, in that sense. Um, then I think it's good to have that group who can bring up that issue and remember it and, and talk about it and communicate it, regardless of how radical their viewpoints otherwise are. Because I want to look at this group and I, I want to hear... What, what is this group saying? What, what are they right about? Uh, what are they wrong about? And then, again, the common ground. But if, you, if, if, if I think it's more damaging for them to exist and talk the way they do, or if it's, it's really hard to answer that. And, and, and yeah, I, I can't say yes or no. I mean, you, you, it's not like saying they're damaging or, or constructive. I mean, it could be like uh, neutral or constructive like if is there an actual reason for them existing like you gave this example of the toxic spraying over st louis but you know that actually what they sprayed wasn't actually toxic it was just kind of these tracer things that they were using to see how far things spread and they they didn't think at the time that it was toxic and then you know they later discovered it was toxic in in the same to the same degree as secondhand smoke is toxic it's got this you know today's standard mm. they wouldn't they wouldn't allow it to be to be sprayed in the air because it's got this this very very minor mm. effect but you know so that, that's a bit of misinformation in itself that the you know but is it inf misinformation well if, if they're saying that the u.s government sprayed the u.s population with biological weapons which is what they mm. say then yeah i'd yeah. say that's misinformation it's because that's not what actually yeah. happened they sprayed them yeah. with what they call analogs of toxic weapons which is something that's an analogous to the toxic weapon like they they use a, a harmless bacteria or they use this zinc cadmium sulfate which is this very slightly uh, fluorescent chemical that they, you spray which you know like i say is is very very slightly carcinogenic like secondhand smoke is carcinogenic or any yeah. number of uh, pollutants are carcinogenic and they probably wouldn't use that now uh, but when they so sprayed it at the time, they thought that it was just this harmless fluorescent dye that, that they could spray and see how far things spread. Uh, yeah, but yeah. that gets misrepresented as being the government has, has sprayed yeah. biological weapons on us before. Therefore, they're yeah. probably doing it now. And these lines that we see in the sky may well be them spraying those biological weapons like they did back then. So, yeah, the, the yeah, yeah sure. It's great to present information like that. But you know that that's it's in the Wikipedia article, and there's lots of other there's there's lots of histories of that type of thing out yeah. there. It's not like you need the chemtrail people to tell you about about these things. 
no, no, it's it's not. But it's it's still those people that you get to hear it from. I've never actually heard of that incident until I actually dug mm. into one of these groups and, yeah. and see what they. But I agree, they do they do misrepresent the information, especially with the title that that you gave to, for example, the incident as they've sprayed the population of blah blah blah, because it it constructs an image of an intent to actually really go in and do damage to the u.s population while that wasn't the intent um the the incident in its uh the way it was you know it 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 still happened but how do you present the incident in the correct way and of course they do misrepresent it to to justify their cause but that's where again if you talk to these people i would just say yeah, that incident was real. I, I agree. It, it's true. And just saying, I agree that what that that happened. Yeah. But the way you are presenting it is as if, and then have you know the common ground of your your case and your point here is correct. But mm-hmm. and then, and instead of just calling them names, you know, like conspiracy. Oh, definitely. Theories, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I I agree with uh, with 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 that largely. I think like people who are conspiracy theorists uh, often bring up good points. They talk about U.S. foreign policy and the history of CIA involvement in, in other governments and uh, covert actions that the CIA has done within the United States. Dirty dealings like the the CIA's infiltration of the uh, the media in the seventies, kind of ended yeah. in the seventies. They overtly ended it in the cent- in the seventies. Things like that, you know, I, I might not have heard of had I not been interested in debunking conspiracy theories so you know you get good information by talking to people who are far away from you things that you might not heard even if you don't go all the way over there you know you still you still find stuff to that's of interest from those people and yeah uh, and by talking to them you can help them clarify their understanding of things as well like if they're saying things like you know the caa admits that it has control of all the newspapers like people Mm -hmm. say things like that but then you say, oh, well, actually, that's that was something that some guy said in 1973, and he was saying it about what happened in the 50s and 60s. You can give somebody context to, to, to that. And, yeah, maybe they do have control now, but, you know, they, they haven't admitted it in the way that you've, you've just said. So you can actually, mm. you know, by having a conversation with people, it helps both of you. You learn stuff, and they learn stuff, and hopefully we all move a bit closer together, closer to a better understanding of the world. That 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 control of the media. I, I totally agree with you. But the control of the media. I mean, in in government's interest and historically, the control of the media is essential to make the population stay in line for the society to function the way the elite wants the society to to go around. Basically, I mean, just in the Soviet Union, uh, incidents in the United States, and how propaganda is used to communicate the uh, reasons for war. And, you know, just like a few days ago, I found out that the United States had tried to get the, the UN Council to push for war in Iraq in 2000, 2002. And there was a woman working in uh, the intelligence community in the UK that leaked this document that proved that the US was willing and able and intentionally trying to disrupt the UN conversations to push for basically war. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, why isn't this more prominent today in the debate of how how politics and war and everything revolves in, in the world? Why, why isn't this uh, put into history books? Why isn't this 
this information available easily for for people you know put it in people's faces they need to understand that that there is a behavior from governments and from corporate interests and from military people to just get what they want to get uh, ego mm -hmm. it, it, and and through ego you 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 get manifestations of cooperation of a common goal which then in turn creates a conspiracy and that's where the term conspiracy becomes such a loaded term because public uh, in my opinion interpretation of the word that i just become worried in regards to the state of the media now and how little they do touch upon these critical issues and instead present you trivial issues such as there was a bad weather storm there was a there was a drowning incident there was a fire there was a it's just every day it doesn't get you anywhere it doesn't yeah. develop you as an individual yeah, I, well, I kind of agree with that. I think the media isn't doing a very good job of informing the public uh, about what's really going on. Uh, I think, you know, when you were talking about that, it reminds me of the, the term the military-industrial complex. It was a term coined by uh, Eisenhower when he left uh, office. He said, beware of the formation of a military-industrial complex, uh, yeah. which is like, you know, this this close symbiotic relationship between the military and the industry that supplies the military and the government via lobbying and the revolving door. And mm -hmm. this is something that's obviously, you know, kind of come to pass and it's, it's something that's been around for a long time. And it's, this is thing that's kind of underlies a lot of American, um, you know, the American political decisions that are made are made because of the military industrial complex. Cause that's, you know, where the money is they, that and oil, Mm -hmm. Is is uh, you know what what America is kind of basing all of their foreign policy decisions uh, upon? So it's a real thing, and I think that it's something that the the media, like in a way, is just kind of like there. We, we talked about that in the seventies, and uh, you know we kind of know that it more or less exists, and now we're talking about something else. It's it's like it's just yeah. people aren't interested anymore. Yeah, you're giving the public what they want, not the, what they need. For example, if you focused. 10% or 20% of your energy and time into, for example, digging into that problem that you just talked mm -hmm. about in regards to media behavior, the relationship between media, military industrial complex, private corporation, lobbying, funding of presidential campaigns. If you spent some energy on that and presented a new view of how this relationship functions in, for example, the United States or in the world and how it affects the world, then I think you would have a common ground that you could communicate to basically any conspiratorial-minded person that would find a relationship with you and kind of entrusting you with that, okay, this guy really does have a analysis of the world that I can uh, relate and, and a level of communicating on. Because uh, what you've been doing until this book, I feel, is basically just disproving most mm -hmm. theories that people can come up with. And without the carrot, without the alternative uh, viewpoint of, of, of redirection, if you, if you only critique and debunk them, you're not leaving them with a, uh, what would I say, a, a guide to a new path or a guide to a new perspective, you are basically, perhaps, I'm just speculating here, absolving them of their belief system in a way. 
And for many people, that can be positive. But for some people, that that's not positive. They don't have anything to stand on. And they, they, they go into defensive mode and they want to protect that view of the world because it's, it is their sensation of existing yeah. in the world in a way. And that is like a religious defensive mechanism in a way almost. So what, what do you think would happen if you spent time? Yeah, yeah I've always kind of said that before that there's lots of other people looking into these other issues like the military industrial complex and corruption and things like that, or even like the more mainstream conspiracy theories like vaccines being harmful and covered up by the pharmaceutical industry, like theories like that. I don't look into those because they're mainstream and there's lots of other people talking about them. But I have Mm. found that because I haven't looked into them, it, it does in a way close off some doors to me because people come and they want to talk to me about those things and yep. you know, I'm not really that familiar with them. I'm not really familiar with the, the whole vaccine thing or even even climate change or uh, you know uh, things like that and even even things like you know the foreign policy and the military industrial complex I'm not that familiar with them so I think I think you may be right you maybe I should spend a bit more time maybe maybe writing about them or maybe like talking about them or talking to people about about these issues uh, mm. so that there's a bit more of a shared common ground that we can uh, we can get yeah. through to people on, and it's not just simply I'm just picking away at the low hanging fruit of their extreme conspiracy theorists uh, theories and hoping that they'll move down. You can have a more of a basis for for that movement in the other direction. Yeah, I, I imagine being one of those people approaching you and trying to have a conversation with you, for example, on the issues that are real conspiracy conspiracies if you want to call it that or mm-hmm. and and I, I i think i would have the sensation of not being able to establish a common ground with you if you were not familiar with the real uh what would you call it conspiracy theories in in the world and if if there's not a common ground to to be reached on on certain or, or just the most fundamental issues in the world then you are in a way maybe alienating them from from uh, perhaps even bothering to look further into what you're saying as mm-hmm. well, because yeah. all they see then is that you're dismissing a bunch of theories and stuff, and they it doesn't guide it, it can guide them somewhere depending on what kind of person you are, but for some people I can imagine it doesn't. But it's fascinating to me that you've that you've had uh, this personal development into this that is it is taking you somewhere. And I think that's really cool. It's really beautiful. And it is, like you said, I would imagine it, it's not just closing doors, but it's, it's, it's also opening doors for you to look at things that you, like you said, that you hadn't heard of before. You hadn't heard of these, maybe aerosol incident in St. Louis, yeah. hadn't it been for these radicals that communicated in, 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 an, in an extreme way. And I think I think that's really good. I think that's healthy. And and for for a person like you, you can approach. I mean, if you went to YouTube and Alex Jones was on there screaming about some you know uh, multidimensional alien reptiles, then you would you wouldn't trust yourself to have the ability to listen to him and to basically just take from it what you wanted to take because you have that mental ability. And you could find points where maybe he's he's got a point, and where he is, you know, arguing his extreme viewpoints from something that is true. Um, and I, I think that's 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 the trust that I would want to give everyone in the public the same ability that you have to 
to go in there and analyze the data that you're yeah. being presented. But it's not, it's not, uh, it's in, it's almost naive of me to say that I would trust that because of course you have people who, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so it's, uh, it's really difficult for me to, to say where I would draw the line. I, I think we, we can't, we can't do anything else, but trust human development. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of hear what you're saying. It's, it's, uh, I think establishing common ground is is a fundamental thing for any conversation. If you're going to have a, a true conversation, that you've got to build rapport. Mm. It's like the first first step. Uh, I just read a book called How to Have Impossible Conversations by uh, Peter Bogosian, and <laughs> okay. uh, he he gives this this list of things in it. And the first step is build rapport, which is just talk about something that you have in common. Uh, but yeah. it doesn't have to be simply like talking about football or talking about the weather. It can be it can be talking about a topic that is closer to the topic you actually want to talk about, where you, where you you have some common ground. You know, and of yeah. course, I talk about in the book find common ground, but it's it's, there, it's usually common ground that's close to the conspiracy theory. But so you, you can, there's a range of areas where you can get this common ground. But yeah. finding something you both agree on that's related to the types of things you're talking about, like say uh, a government corruption of, of some sort, you both agree that mm. there's government corruption. I think that's, that's a vital part of uh, you know, establishing rapport. If you're going to be talking about different types of government corruption, you start out mm. by saying, yeah, this is some, this is an area where I think there is genuine corruption. And this is an area where it's been proven that there's corruption. Mm. And here it's obvious that there is corruption and you, know, you can agree on that. Um, mm. so, so yeah, like establishing rapport and establishing kind of like a, a foundation for a conversation is better than simply throwing out debunks saying like, you know, this thing that you claimed to be true is in fact false. And here is why, because of this, so we can get rid of that. So if you start building things up, mm. it works better than uh, just shooting things down. Yeah, yeah, because I think that's just the sensation that they're having, that you're shooting it down. You, you mm. are, you're basically, um, yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's a good way, way, way to put it. You're shooting it down. Um, I have to ask, in regards to the, the Tic Tac UFO incident, uh, after, after the, uh, probably I would imagine, heavy critique that you um, got for some of your uh, interpretations of seagulls and uh, yes. reflections in the cockpit, which I have to admit made me laugh a little bit because it's, I understand that you are presenting an alternative explanation to kind of calm down with the let's let's look at it more carefully and let's I totally get that, but it um, to people who are let's say who have really dug into the incident, who have uh, listened to the witness reports from all of the pilots who saw exactly the same thing, or the, um, the radar witnesses who were sitting at the radar controllers who have now come out and you know, witnessed that we mm -hmm. did see this and this. And, um, and if you take all of this into consideration and a correlation of, and, and try to draw a red line through it, um, how do you feel now about that incident? Do you feel that? I think something... it's it's unidentified. <laughs> it's an unidentified <laughs> object, uh, and it was probably flying. Uh, was probably flying. <laughs> I, I don't know what what uh, what he saw. And I've been I've still been fairly active. Like the last couple of days, I've been spending time on Twitter, and I actually made a uh, a small model of the of the Tic Tac, which I have have oh, right wow, here. Nice. 
so I can uh, do some experiments with like you know bringing it closer to the camera and bringing it further away and seeing what it looks like in the distance and seeing if I can match up the video. So it's still an active, ongoing discussion. Uh, what yeah. do these videos show? The the eyewitness accounts, I think, are a bit hmm, variable. Like for example, you've got like an interview with Chad Underwood who is a guy who is he, he took the video the, the famous video of the the tic-tac in the distance and in his interview he talks about the incredible maneuvers that it made but and in the interview it, it makes it seem like he actually saw these maneuvers but really he's talking about what other people said they saw and so you get all this kind of conflation of these different accounts and mm. it, it seems like you've got this one cohesive whole when mm. really you still have really all these separate accounts. You have the uh, the video, which shows this black fuzzy dot like far away in the distance that kind of jumps around as they change the camera zoom lenses and mm. the, the infrared to visible. Yeah. You have people talking about radar returns where this object was at 20,000 feet and it dropped to 500 feet and or underneath the water, depending on who you talk to. Mm. Uh, and then you have... The accounts of Commander Fravor and the the uh, the other pilot who said that they were vectored out to a certain location, and then mm. they looked down and they saw this 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 little uh, tic tac thing flying around above the surface of the water, and then they flew down and it flew around them, and then it zipped off away horizontally. These mm. are all different things. They don't really yeah, yeah. correlate. Like the you know being vectored to a, a particular location, that was just you know, pretty much anywhere within like a five mile square radius because the the they they got to the location that they're still going at uh, two hundred miles an hour, and it takes them mm. a while before they finally spot something, and that's like twenty thousand feet down, which twenty thousand feet is is like four miles down, and you know who knows what angle that's at, so it's probably miles away, yeah. uh, and that's. They didn't see things drop out of the sky, which is what the radar saw. And they didn't mm. see something far away in the distance moving very slowly, which is what Chad Underwood filmed in his, his fuzzy little video. So you've got all these <laughs> different things, and people put them all yeah. together. And then they say, like, oh, people on the ship were using these, these big-eye binoculars to see these little white specks off in the distance. Those white specks, I'm afraid to say, might have actually been seagulls. People take all these things and they say, oh, there's all these people having all these different sightings and that means that there definitely was something going on. But mm. does it? Does it really mean that? From what, I, from what I understand, there were three different incidents. Is that correct? One on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and no, two, two on the West Coast and one on the East Coast, right? There was basically two incidents. There's the, the Nimitz incident, which happened in 2003 or something like that, quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. And then there's a more recent one, which happened on the East Coast, which has two videos called the, the Go Fast video and the Gimbal video, yeah. which are both yeah. shot within minutes of each other and from the same plane with the same people. And they just show two different unidentified objects that they picked up using their FLIR system, their forward-looking infrared uh, camera. Mm. The second incident, the later incident, has a different set of people entirely and it, originally it was just these two videos but i think some guys have stepped forward and said oh yeah we we, we occasionally see these weird flying uh, objects uh, and they have some various accounts of them but the, the mm. main one people are interested in is the nimitz incident because there's so many different people have come out yeah. to discuss what they saw or what they heard or what they mm. saw on the radar or you know some people like say they saw the original video and it was more detailed so there's a lot more people kind of involved in that one uh, so that's mm. what I've been talking about, and that's what the uh, 
the tic-tac actually is yeah the tic-tac model that's a cute little one you gotta make more of those <laughs> yeah well you, it's, 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 a, it's a serious one. it's a serious uh, function in that I, I can use it to <laughs> test out hypotheses for uh what does something look like on video? Will something that's shaped like this actually create the shapes that we can see on the the actual video? But yes, yeah, so my FLIR camera. Uh, I, I I do have a FLIR camera. It's on my desk somewhere down, but I, it's not a very high resolution one, and it's not actually the same wavelength, so it doesn't actually create the the same thing. However, a lot of that video from the Nimitz encounter is actually in invisible light. Oh, so you're okay. so seeing it's just heating seat signature. No, it's just it's just it's the actual object itself that you are seeing. Okay. It's, I mean, okay. it's actually black, which means that it's backlit, which means all you're seeing essentially is the shape of the object, and it's really fuzzy, which means it's out of focus, but because it's so so far away. Mm, uh, so you know, I, so I can I can actually replicate the conditions using a scale model. This is mm. a reasonable style scale model. I used to use my my iPhone uh, earbud case. And before mm. that, I was actually using a real Tic Tac, which uh, was a bit impractical because it's, uh, you know, it's not that big. But, you know, it's but, an ongoing discussion. Hopefully, I'm going to speak to some of the people who are involved at some point, and uh, maybe we can uh, uh, reach some common ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you, um, like, I mean, you you want to get to the truth. That's that's basically the point. Oh, yeah. I guess, Absolutely. I guess, yeah, like, what is the truth? And, and um, if... It, how am I going to put this? If, um, like, like the Navy coming out and basically saying that, yeah, yeah, these videos are real and 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 it's unidentified and it's and that's that's all there is to it. Um, do you feel that it um, it makes the case more serious in a way? Oh, I've always assumed that the videos were real and that they showed some unidentified object, and they show little black dots. How can you identify it? There's no way of identifying it from those videos. Yeah. And you know, people said that the videos were hoaxed or faked, but you know, I never saw any indication of, of that before. And I always worked with the assumption from the very start when the videos came out in, uh, uh, well, the, the, the Nimitz one had been out for a long time, but the other two came out in December 2017. From the very start, I was analyzing them as if they were genuine videos shot from a, a Navy, uh, Navy plane with you know, real pilots and real objects. So, you know, that was, not, that changed nothing to me. The, the, but then people take this, this, the Navy says the videos are real as if it means the Navy says that alien spacecraft yeah. are real, Yeah, yeah which yeah, is a bit yeah. of a leap. All it means is that, Oh, a pilot in a Navy plane shot this video. Yeah. That's all it means. And we couldn't identify this thing. And it's yeah, obvious yeah. you couldn't identify this thing because it was tiny. I mean, you can't uh, identify everything that's on the table behind me because it's it's just too small to see. It's just too far away. If it's right, big enough, right. you can identify it. Uh, you can bring things closer. You can identify it. you got this uh, typical low-information situation for all UFOs where you, you can't identify them, and they remain unidentified, yeah. not because they're yeah. weird shapes or anything like that, but because they're too far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, have you heard of a group called the Disclosure Project and a character called Stephen Greer? Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. I haven't looked into yeah. it too much. I think I watched the presentation that they did, where they had a bunch of uh, old men, old men for yeah. want of a better, retired uh, government and military officials who stood up and said, "I saw a light outside a nuclear silo and things like that." And you know, this went on for for some time. And you know, it seemed like there was a big weight of evidence there that there were commonly mysterious uh, 
craft buzzing various places mm. and the mm. gear says this was uh but then you look at some of the other stuff that gear puts out like he i think he posted yeah. like, a picture of a, a campfire e. and there was like a silhouette or something sat in one of the chairs around the campfire yeah. and it's just like ridiculous nonsense uh so yeah. it doesn't really make it seem like i, I should trust his older stuff either i don't know if i told you but i was very um involved with that group of people um, I traveled to the, uh, I, I, yeah, I talked about this in the previous podcast in a way, um, mm, where you're into UFOs I, yeah, and, and crop circles. Yeah. And contact with them. Basically, uh, we were going out and doing these meditations with, uh, mm. Stephen Gray and it was, um, it was basically a cult. It, it really was. It was a cult. Right. But, Interesting. But he, um, he put out a, um, what, uh, something that he was worried about Stephen Gray. He put out this, um, he also did it during the press conference in 2001, where he, what he's worried about is that this is going to end up in military hands and that the whole topic is going to be basically put into a militarized perspective. And then I went on History Channel and I watched this new um, uh, Blink Air 182 guy uh, mm-hmm. creating this new organization, Tom DeLonge, yeah. and uh, this uh, starlight organization and everything and that they're, yeah, yeah. it's full of former military people and uh, Pentagon officials and they're going around investigating this subject in their own way uh, trying to get witnesses uh, allegedly material and all this stuff but it's only a group of military people and the whole TV series is the, the putting on this music, of course, that is really hyped up and it's uh, exciting and intense yeah, and it's yeah. uh, spooky. And the whole language with, with, within the TV series and the way that they're talking about the subject is as if it's uh, the, the question of a threat, the question of intent, and the, um, the possibility that they can have with this technology uh if 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 they are here if, you know uh, ets and what what they want to do with us and they are communicating this uh, nimitz incident as if it was a uh a way of demonstrating technology from their side and what they're capable of as in um uh, kind of a threatening behavior and i'm i have to say i'm really worried that this is being shown in this way that it's yeah. being presented in this spooky um, uh, kind of uh, militaristic mm. sense and that this has been left to military people. I think that's the last yeah. group of people who should have this issue. I'm not sure if I have the same sense of that. Like when I, I look at the To The Stars Academy, there's, there's obviously the one military guy, uh, Lou Elizondo, he was military, but he was involved in, I think, like something like uh, bodyguard details and uh, classifying documents. I mean, he wasn't like a secret agent or something like that. He wasn't like, you know, Navy SEAL. Mm. Or maybe he was like a long time ago, but, uh, yeah, he he's basically a, a, a bureaucrat. And then you have Chris Mellon, uh, assistant to the assistant deputy secretary for defense, which sounds very impressive, but it, it's, yeah. You know, it down, it's really down the hierarchy. There's lots of assistant secretaries, assistant deputy secretaries. Um, and he's a government guy. He's not really a military guy. And mm. you've got, uh, what's his name? Uh, Justice, Steve Justice. He yeah. works, I, I believe, at Lockheed Martin, headed up the Skunk Maybe. Works. I think, it, is it Lock, I think it's Lockheed Martin. Military, you know, military uh, 
industrial company. And mm. he, again, he's not really military. He's an engineer. Uh, and, oh. uh, and an engineering manager for the last like 20 years or so. He managed teams of people. You, you know, he's an engineer. He's got patents and things. He's a clever guy. And mm. you've got Hal Putoff, who's not military at all, unless he did some kind of uh, national service a long time ago. He's a former Scientologist and, uh, you know, a, a big kind oh, of. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, a long time ago. He, I think he left in the 70s. Um, He's a guy who basically works in alternative science, like theorizing about uh, warp drives and things like that. And mm. he's doing very interested in UFOs. And there's, there's some other people whose names I don't remember, but it's not, I don't really see it as being particularly this militaristic thing. Though, you know, they do have these connections to the military. They, they just, mm. you know, he's, he's headed by a, a rock star, you know, Tom yeah, Long yeah. from Blink 182. So that's not military at all, that you could say that's just some kind of shield uh then they had this recent thing where they they signed this i think it's called a crada this kind of a common research application development agreement or something like that with the air force uh, yeah with with the army not the air with force. the army okay yes and not not just the army specifically ground vehicles within the army what? Uh, which <laughs> you think like if they've got ufo technology why are they researching it for ground vehicles yeah, uh, and I think what it actually is is that uh, the To the Stars Academy, the the Tom DeLong's company, which has all these people in it, they they figured out the way to get into the military was to sign one of these these Crada agreements, and the way they figured out on doing it was to first of all sign a partnership agreement with this other company, uh, Trueclear Global. Trueclear Global is the name of this company. So the To the Stars Academy signs up with Trueclear Global. Trueclear True Global's thing is they, they're an advertising display company. They make uh, projectors and screens that people can like project things onto the sides of buildings or onto screens and things. All right, yeah. The military is interested in what they call active camouflage, which means, in this context, sometimes uh, projecting images of things in front of other things to make it look like they're not there. Like, so you're in yeah. the desert, you project an image of the sky behind a tank onto a screen in front of the tank, and it makes it look like they're, they're not there. Yeah. So Trueclear Global has this technology, and they were just this, this little advertising projection company. They wanted to get into the military. Somebody knows somebody, and they say, oh, Tom DeLong, you know, has this, Lou Elizondo has some contacts in the Pentagon still, so we can sign up with, to the Stars Academy, and then he'll use his contacts to sign this CRADA so that the military can get this, this uh, active camouflage stuff that they're interested in, which is basically oh. just fancy projection screens, and we'll yeah. tack on this stuff about analyzing materials onto this CRADA, which gives us access okay. to these government labs. And uh, So I think that's pretty much what happened. I don't think the military is really expecting that people sending in random bits of metal they found on the roadside after they think they saw a UFO is really going to go right. anywhere. Uh, right, right. What they're really interested in is just this active camouflage stuff. And if something comes out of the, the other stuff, that would be great, but it's, it's not really like the main focus. So okay. it feels like from the outside, there's this big, big thing going on. Like there's this company disclosing UFO technology and they've got this se secret agreement to work with the army in their labs. But mm. really, the, if you d look into it, it doesn't really seem to be that much there. There's not mm. really very much going on military-wise there. There's no real connections to the military. Uh, it's just like a, 
yeah i'm sure <laughs> maybe there is you know like, like you said earlier like we can't rule things out 100 percent. maybe this is all part of some great plot to disclose things in a very strange way by first of all softening up the public by having tom DeLong explain things and then the aliens will step yeah. off their ship onto the white house lawn in a few years time right, but yeah. i think no i think it's just a bunch of guys who are interested in ufos who found themselves in various positions and then they got together and they thought, oh, well, let's, let's do some more UFO stuff. It's cool. I really, I'm really into UFOs. Harry Reid, mm. big politician in the U S former senator, is former a house majority leader. He was house leader, leader of the yes. house. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he, you think he would already know if there was aliens up there because he's yeah. got his access to the military because he's like the leader of the house, you know, this leader of uh, the, the Senate, I believe. He should actually right. have access to all these committers that we should know all this, this secret stuff. And yeah, he's, he's, he's funneling $25 million to his friend's company to investigate UFOs. It's really just because he's a UFO fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you, do you think regardless of this, this uh, human behavior in, in, uh, within these uh, communities and groups, do you, think the, do you think it's likely that we are being visited now? Uh, no, I don't think okay. it's likely. I think... The evidence for visitors is very sketchy. If you look at all the you know, things that people say and attribute to alien visitations, they're all over the map. Yeah. There's all kinds of different things going on. If you think, like, how could aliens get here? It's kind of a problem. Like, you know, it's, it, they're going to, yeah, they're going to, they're going to, maybe they've got faster than light teleportation things. Maybe they're going to zip around the universe, but, you know, we have no evidence of that. So, we could mm. hypothesize all kinds of magical type things that might explain lights in the sky, but you know, why not just say they're just lights in the sky and we've mistaken them for something else saying we see lights in the sky and we hear people being abducted from the bedrooms. Does that mean that aliens are visiting us or is there a more prosaic explanation? Mm. Sure. It's possible that aliens are visiting us, but I don't really see any very compelling evidence that aliens are visiting us. Now, I, mm. I know other people, like you, for example, will probably think there is more compelling evidence than, than me because I, you know, I just perhaps tend to gravitate towards the mundane explanation of things, which may be probably. a feeling on my part, but I, I think it's kind of based on my experience in that whenever mm. I look into things, they tend to, the magic falls away. They tend mm. to have a mundane explanation. Someone shows a picture of a ghost. They tend to be not pictures of ghosts. There's a recent, there's a thing in the States right now where there's people are saying that there's a drone swarms going on over, I think, uh, Colorado and uh, Oklahoma and yeah, a couple of that. the middle yeah. of the middle of the country States. Mm. And then he, they, they, they say, Oh, we saw all this stuff and there's thousands of reports. The FAA is looking into it. The FBI is looking into it. The sheriff's department is looking into it. Then they show the mm. videos and it's like a shaky video of like a light somewhere. And like there's one guy driving at 70 miles an hour along the road chasing a light on the horizon, which just happens to be where, where Venus usually is at mm. that time of the evening. Uh, and then mm. you get some other videos of lights which look exactly like buildings on the horizon. Then there's a, a photo of some lights, which, which is verifiably is a plane even though it looks a bit weird because it's one of those those where the the red central light lights up the engine, so it looks like you've got these kind of weird things on either side uh, of this mm. red light, which looks like some kind of TIE fighter or something. But, yeah, it is definitely a plane, and yet the media is saying, like, this is part of the new uh, drone invasion yeah. of the United States. So, yeah, you look yeah. Into, I look into these things. In my experience, the magic falls away, 
and you're left with something that's mundane. And so I tend yeah. to gravitate towards that being the default explanation after years yeah. and years of it actually being the actual explanation. Understandably so. But I do think that one day there will be an exception. <laughs> well, and, hopefully. And that's, that would be great. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Uh, but have you checked out the work of um, J. J. Allen Hynek, the astronomer employed into Project Blue Book? Uh, uh, no, I, I really haven't. And people keep bringing him up. But I, I think I've kind of tended to shy away from the old, older stuff because it tends to not be very interesting when you look into it. There isn't really very much there. You get these accounts that people go on and on and on about, about like, you know, some guy stopped by the side of the road and his car got dented and he had these burns on his chest or whatever. Yeah, and it's a generalization. Well, no, that's, that's, an, that's an actual case, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, but I mean the the interpretation of old old data. I mean, the the, the, the um, it's been it's been my experience that like, because it's old, they don't have photographs, and you the people are often dead by now, and so you're yeah. left with essentially stories from the past. And what are you going to do with them? This is like an, an eyewitness who's dead. What but, what do we do okay. with this? It's a story that he said. Yeah. 40, 50 years ago. Right. It can, it, can, it can be hard to take it anywhere because it's so long ago. I, I totally see that. But when, when you have, for example, again, like um, a guy like Hynek, who, who was employed mm. to basically debunk and, and be skeptic of UFO incidents and employed by the government to do so, and later then coming out saying that this was actually a government sort of plot to calm the public down and that the observations and what was being seen in the skies all across the U.S. at that time, the UFO waves and all that, that many of the observations were uh, in admissions from, from him completely unexplainable and that the government did try to find a plausible, um, you know, down-to-earth explanation mm -hmm. just to calm people down because it was hysterical tendencies back then. But... It, he saw it as, uh, if you read his books is, and his testimony, which I think carries just as much weight today as it did back then, his experience as a transition from working from the government, being very skeptical and very kind of, in, in his words, close-minded previously as to what these phenomenons were, and then moving into that, that, that there is something going on and saying mm -hmm. that, the government has actually no clue as to what this, these things are, and they they are worried and are having trouble uh, understanding what's going on. And they what they needed him for was basically just as a a public face for the public to identify with and feel comforted by, and so he could explain away. And he also talks about how the government took the most easily explainable cases debunked them, and then presented it to the media. But the completely unexplainable ones were left untouched and kind of left out of the, the mm. discussion and research. And it's, I think you would find it really worth looking into uh, his, his story of how the government did the case. Is he still alive? No, he died. He died. It's, mm. he, he was an astronomer and a physicist. And um, right. very down to earth guy, very uh, reflective. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. When, when you were talking about him, like you know, he started out essentially 
debunking these things. You know, a lot of people who do get into strange beliefs do actually say they start out trying to debunk things. Obviously different with his case because he has all this access to to information, but uh, there were these cases that were difficult to explain and the government didn't present those to people. But did he then present those in his book and explain what yeah. they actually were? Uh, what, not what were, they actually were. Well, no, but what's what the evidence was? I mean, was it actually yes. photos of yes. craft or was it lights yes. in the sky? Yes, he brought everything forward. He came out with uh, what he had left of of data, notes, pictures, uh, even videotapes. Um, Basically, just everything that he Mm -hmm. had accumulated through Project Blue Book. Well, I I probably should read him, like for the reasons we were just discussing, that uh, it it would be common ground for the the UFO people. Like, I, I talk to a lot of UFO people, and they often uh, bring up that you know him Heineck. And mm. does he have more than one book, or does he just have one famous book Both that he wrote? Probably ten books. Okay. Uh, he, yeah. he also met with a scientist in France called um, Jacques Vallée, who was an yeah, astronomer. Yeah, I've heard of him. Uh, French government, and they they co co wrote some book to, books together, and and had conversations about the phenomenon and what they uh, they theorized and make made a bunch of hypotheses out from the data, and uh, it's really interesting to to, mm-hmm. to dig into it. And they're not giving it um, ultimate terms; they're not saying it's this or that. It's just what is going on and what is uh, where's the evidence pointing. That they had a bit. I, th- I think if I if I do continue with the UFO stuff, and I, I do have uh, experiments to do with my, my Tic Tac, <laughs> I, I probably should uh, do a little bit more foundational research. Well, we're, we're coming up, uh, heading towards two hours again here. Other, is there anything else that we that you wanted to talk about that we haven't uh, touched oh, on yet? Maybe next time. I've got a bunch of stuff in your book right. that I really need to write <laughs> down in a word word document to to, right. to, to, to get a hold of. So well, uh, yeah, but thank you so much for the um, for talking, and uh, it's really uh, it's refreshing to to talk to you, and it's really uh, you're I think you're a very good good and important balance, and I, I it's really uh, enjoyable to see your development in it as well uh, in, in in different ways, and I, I think that's very a lot of fun. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Thank you, and uh, I. I really enjoy your perspective on things as well and i think it's uh yeah it's we got to have like you say we got to have discussions like this to move forward like common ground between the two not not sides but perhaps like uh camps in uh, uh these these discussions to, so we can uh, we can all move forward and maybe yeah. we can uh, get back together again in a, in a month or so and we can uh, we can uh, talk more about about these topics and about uh, about my book Definitely. Give me two months. <laughs> All right, two months. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Stephen. Yeah, you touch guy. Thank you.